to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you haven't joined us before, we're passionate about all things internal medicine and helping you become the best tech you can be. We'll be discussing interesting internal medicine diseases, how to work closely with pet parents, and how to become the go-to tech in your practice. Now, let's start the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. Thanks so much for listening and making a commitment to learning. I hope everybody is doing well. We are your hosts. I am Jordan Porter, joined by the amazing Yvonne Brandenburg. Hey, <laughs> hey girl. <laughs> I'm not feeling amazing today, so that's why I'm giggling. <laughs> Manifest. <sighs> trying, trying. I know. It, I was telling Jordan before we started recording. So, the leg saga continues. <laughs> I had my recheck yesterday and she's like, nope, we're not done yet with antibiotics. So I got inject, I got IM injections, which, which was not fun. Nope. <laughs> and then restarted on anim- uh, antibiotics. So I'm on Clavamox now. I mean, I was on Clavamox for like, 10 days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Augmentin, whatever. Clavamox. I just call it Clavamox because otherwise I forget what it's, but, um, yeah. So I'm on that. And I'm just like, dude, today I was just like, I'm so exhausted. I think I just get zonked on Clavamox. Yeah. So, yeah. So I restarted that yesterday because I, I stopped on Wednesday and I was like, I'm not giving it more 36 hours of just like, see what happens. Festering. <laughs> I was like, Ooh, I don't feel comfortable with it. Although this time was nice. Like the doctor actually cultured my leg, which, That's good. you know, it's only 20 days in and they finally decide to like culture it. I was like, cool. I'm not surprised just because when I had my cat bite stuff, nobody remotely did anything to it for four months. Yeah. Well, and I think too, I think she was in the way she was explaining it is she said, usually if it's some kind of a skin infection, it's usually a staff or a strep. So they just kind of treat it that way, which I get it. Like if 99% is that and you treat it and it goes away, that's fine. But <laughs> mine's just, mine's just lingering a little longer than they want. Um, so she finally cultured it. So I'm like, cool. Awesome. But I'm excited. They actually cultured it because yeah. she was like, I just want to make sure it's not immersed. And I'm like, Oh God. Yeah, that would suck. I was like, please don't be a nurse. Well, what if it's a parasite? Could you imagine? I don't think it's a parasite. Like it's acting like an infection. And I Googled monkeypox and that's not it. <laughs> Cause I was like, it didn't even come to mind. I'm thinking like a parasite. I've done a lot of mom stuff this week, shopping, getting ready for school. Right. Cause school starts what in a week and a half. Yeah. Holy moly. So like, not in, not this week that this comes out, but next week, um, I have like Ooh. the house and they're both on different nights. I think one's on Monday, one's on Tuesday, and then they start school on Thursday. Dang. Um, and it's so dumb because like, you don't get the school supplies list until then, but I'm like, but like, if you look online, it says like what they think they'll need. So I was like, okay. uh, so you can at least get some of the basics before. Yeah. I got a lot of the basics already. And, um, yeah, so I've been doing that, and my dad's birthday's tomorrow. Oh, wow. Your yeah. birthday is uh, next week? Yeah. So 
the week this goes live. So happy birthday, Jordan. Thanks. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about it. Matt keeps asking me what I want to do for my birthday. And I literally don't have any idea because like Bailey has to go to the doctor and get vaccines and like Ugh, the whole thing. Yeah. So, and she's getting tetanus for the first time. So I'm just like, it's going to oh, be. Oh man. I remember that. Yeah. Ooh. It's going to be a day. Yeah. So I was like, if we could try to just go out to dinner and then just call it good, call it even. <laughs> right. I know it's, it's funny. I'm, um, I'm lecturing at UC Irvine. Uh, when was that the 30th or something like anyways, end of this month. Mm-hmm. And, um, <laughs> because it is like right before my birthday, I convinced my husband to go with me. So we're just going to extend it and like, just make it like a chill weekend. And Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. I have no idea who's going to take care of the cats. I haven't figured that out yet. Yeah. Hmm. I guess I should. Although it's much easier because literally it's just like feed them. Well, yeah. Cause now that you <laughs> have your, your special needs children anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Oh, yay. Being, being a, a pet parent needs. or being a human parent. <sighs> yeah. So it's kind of, um, I mean, I'm, it's not a parasite. It's acting like an infection. Hopefully it's not Asper. Cause that's what we're talking about this week. And I would die if it's fungus, I will die. I mean, not literally, I mean, figuratively people, I just mean like, ugh. yeah, Cause, cause we imagine- talked about it last week and this yeah. is going to be similar to last week. Very not the same but similar um except for this week i've seen this one. Oh, <laughs> like what once or something no i've seen it a lot oh okay so this week we're talking about aspergillosis in dogs and cats dogs and cats i included cats this time yeah um it's caused by several different species <laughs> of aspergillus i am not going to name them because i already tried and i can't say them so i will i will try because i was like oh it's a fun challenge accepted so aspergillus fumigatus terius niger nigelans or nigelans this is the one that i was like i don't know um viridinatans flavus and philus Okay, Felis is easy. That's yeah. I think I may have like maybe got some of the other ones, but I I have no idea because yeah. I just thought it was just Aspergillus. I didn't. Anyway, I mean, I guess are... I should have realized there were different species, but yeah, those are <laughs> the more commonly like recognized one like species of it. Um, it's found worldwide in almost all domestic animals, birds, and wild species as well. Yeah. Um, so horses, cattle, all that stuff. Like I was learning about horses, and I was like. I like started reading it and then it's interesting. And then I was like, nope, just keep scrolling. (laughs) You're like, I could rabbit hole here, but I I was trying very hard not to, because I had (laughs) had things to do. Like I have things to do today. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but anyway, it's primarily a respiratory infection. It can, so it typically generalizes in one specific area in the respiratory tract. Um, but tissue pre predilection, predilection. (laughs) Why is it so hard today? Uh, 
tissue predilection tends to vary among the different species. So like mm. bird, I don't know where birds get it. I'm pretty sure they get it in their air, air sacs. Probably that sounds right. Um, but like, in despite the fact that I briefly read on horses, it was very brief. So I can't tell you, <laughs> um, but the most common forms tend to be pulmonary infections. Um, which it says right there <laughs> in birds. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, uh, nasal passages and paranasal tissues, um, of dogs as well as intervertebral sites and kidneys of dogs. And then for kitties, it tends to be pulmonary sinus, sinonasal or na- sinoorbital. Um, yep. I was reading up on the sinoorbital and I was like, Ooh, yeah. Ugh. Yeah. It's not pretty. Yeah. I've never seen that. I've never seen it in a cat. I've only ever done a billion dogs. Um, I've seen it in like maybe a handful of cats, at least that we like were able to definitively diagnose. Yeah. Uh, so where is this fungus found other than worldwide? Uh, it's found, so it grows on like dead leaves, uh, stored grains. So I was like looking at how I was storing all my stuff outside and I was like, oh. You're like, oh no. <laughs> um, compost piles, which I have. Yeah. Uh, and then other decaying vegetation. So note taken, I will not let Zara over by the compost pile anymore. Uh, <laughs> mm, yeah, I, we've had a couple of them that they dig in the compost pile and if they're immune suppressed, they just, it, it, the fungus goes, that looks like a really good place to go. Mm. I know. And it's funny too, cause my chickens love it. Like, cause basically our compost pile is just a pile of old like hay and stuff Yeah, from the goats and the chickens. And like, but like there are, like, if you move it around, there's tons of like grubs under it. So yeah. the chickens love it. Um, but I think all my chickens are pretty young and healthy. So as they get older, I'll probably have them stray away from there. Yeah. Good luck with that. <laughs> yeah. They pretty well do what they want to do already. Yeah. Um, anyway, it includes more than 150 types of mold that again, occur widely everywhere, indoor Ooh. and outdoor environments. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's found as a lacy mold that grows on foods it is okay. this is like kind of one of those like scary <laughs> podcast episodes because we're like holy crap it's everywhere yeah it is it's like it's one of those yeah, fun- yeah. fungus is among us but as Yvonne said it's an opportunistic fungus so it usually affects animals um, with weakened immune systems or immune compromised patients and um what happens is it can, the fungus itself sheds microscopic spores that float in the air and then are easily inhaled. So that's again, most commonly respiratory involvement. Um, the spores are called conidia. And then, like I said, they're typically inhaled. And if they are able to bypass protective respiratory mechanisms, so like the mucus and the sinus cavity and the airways and stuff like that, that does protect the airways from things like fungus, um, mm-hmm. as well as like the little cilia that are in there, um, to help protect everything. So if it can bypass those walls of protection, mm-hmm. um, a lot of, a lot of our pets will, um, begin to grow this fungus, <laughs> um, it's, and it's um, more difficult to remove from the body. I was gonna say, cause it's IgA, right? Mm-hmm. Cause it's anus which is a mucous membrane. It's how I remember mucous membrane ones. There you go, guys. Um, 
Yes. And that's, that's why we want strong immune systems. <laughs> and some dogs, it can actually trigger an allergic reaction versus like other dogs will get an infection. So it just, depends. Oh, interesting. I mean, I guess that makes sense, right? It makes like, sense, right? Because an allergic reaction is protecting the body. Right. Like right. It kind of evades it, the protection wall, but like, then the body's like, no, ma'am, you're out. <laughs> yeah. Cause the sneezing, I mean, as much as sneezing is annoying, it helps get it out of the system mm-hmm. and flushes and so things. Hmm. Most infections do tend to be, uh, like centered to the nose. It's often nasal aspergillus, <laughs> yeah. um, but some dogs can develop mild to serious lung infections. And then I learned this today because I've never seen it, but obviously I should have known, like, cause obviously this can disseminate. Um, mm-hmm. so it can become systemic and occurs when the infection spreads beyond the lungs to other organs, like the kidneys and the spine. And yeah, I've seen one spine case. Yuck. I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't know if I've recognized one that has been in kidneys. Um, but I've definitely seen a spine case and that was, ugh, that was not good. Yeah. Like, and it was a younger dog too. So it wasn't like, you know, an ancient decrepit thing, which is really sad. So what I found interesting though, about this is like the like predisposition. So in cats, most cats obviously exposed to the organism don't become ill, but dogs, I mean, same thing for dogs too, right? Like most of them aren't going to become ill. It's everywhere. Mm -hmm. And, um, so brachycephalic cats, so tend to be more predisposed to developing disease versus in our dogs, we tend to get those longer snout dogs. So our collies are greyhounds, German shepherds, goldens. Um, and there was a recent study that showed retrievers and Rottweilers tend to have the highest incidence of Asper, which is funny because the first two cases I've ever seen were a golden and a Rottie. That's really crazy. Cause the, the, um, the spine dog that I had was a Rottweiler. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I, I can imagine with like the short, the brachycephalic cats, it makes sense because they don't really breathe through their nose. So there's probably not a lot of air movement and get it out of there. So it's probably like once it gets inhaled in there, it probably just like sits and festers. Cause you know, like your brachycephalic cats are usually snarfly sounding anyways. Yeah. So it's probably like, you know, just like more area okay. get trapped in. Yeah just like crevices on crevices yeah kind of the same as our um isn't it isn't it delicocephalic is the the long Mm -hmm. nose Mm -hmm. yeah so our delicocephalic animals see i i can use terminology and make myself sound smart um (laughs) they've just got a lot of nasal passageway and it's nice and moist and damp in there and yeah Um, ironically enough, despite your Roddy, when the disease disseminates, it's most often found in middle-aged female German shepherds. Interesting. Right. Also a delicocephalic dog. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, in cats, they tend to present with, um, similarly to dogs, um, with sinonasal disease, uh, but their sinoorbital disease tends to be very aggressive and it causes um, typically facial swelling. Sometimes there can be like a mass um, or ulceration of the hard palate, which is crazy to me. I'm like, ouch. Ooh. And the CNS can be invaded, causing neurologic signs. So they can, with cats with 
the sinoorbital, we can see a bulging eye, elevation of the third eyelid, neurologic signs, um, blindness, um, balance issues. And then Oof. again, rarely, but it can happen. It can disseminate um, throughout the body and causing problems like pneumonia and fever. Yeah. I, it's funny because I've actually seen a couple of dogs with like some sino orbital, but I think it's, those are also the ones that like the cribiform's not intact. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, I mean, I don't know about you, but we are, we always do a CT on these guys. Yeah. Because if it's got nasal involvement, but like the treatment's not the treatment's not without risk. Like if we have, if we don't have the bone intact between <laughs> the, the nasal cavities, sinuses and the brain, it can be all sorts of bad. So, um, yeah. Uh, Asper. It's funny. Cause Asper was one of my, um, case reports for mine too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's a good case report. <laughs> it really is. So with dogs, um, one of the things that the clients will see is they notice this like chronic nasal discharge. Um, and it can be, it can start as clear, but usually there'll be like some coloration to it. So green, white, um, you can get blood, um, Mm -hmm. depending on how bad it is. It can have like an odor. It could be weeks to months. Um, it may respond a little bit to antibiotics and that's usually like a secondary infection because of like the tissue damage, but it won't fully clear with antibiotics. It's like they go on these courses. That's how we get them. Right. (laughs) They're seen at their primary vet and it's like, they've been on these chronic courses of antibiotics and it like clears, but then it comes back right away. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's because yeah, you got the secondary infection, but not the primary, which is the fungus. Um, and it's usually one-sided, although sometimes not if it's broken through, sometimes it's, it's both. Eaten away. If it's chronic <laughs> enough that it's eaten away to yeah. both sides, <laughs> yep. um, most time it's unilateral. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, and the problem with it is because the fungus is destroying the tissue in there, um, when we look at it, with, cause we scope these guys, right. Um, you'll see first like around the nostrils. So on the nares, you'll see sometimes some ulceration there. Um, it's really common to see, I don't even know what that part is, but like the bottom part of the nares, like nasal where, it, yeah, the nasal planum where it hits the lips, mm-hmm. you'll see, uh, especially if they, they have a black nose, you'll see like this pink, um, crack I call it because the the fungus releases some toxins and it eats away there and so it ulcerates that area and so you'll see this like pink draining like not even draining track but drain track it's not draining but it's like like where the snot goes yeah where the snot goes and it like discolors the nose yeah which is and it's like if you see that you're like um I can almost guarantee this is going to be Asper. Yeah. Yeah. And that does tend to get uh, ulcerated and inflamed. It can break open and Mm -hmm. and bleed due to the discharge and, and dogs are uncomfortable too. So you'll see a lot of sneezing or pawing at the face. Mm -hmm. Um, So I like to suggest e-collars while it sucks. Like I would 
be very upset if someone blocked my way to like rubbing something that was very uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, and I think people forget too, like sometimes they're painful. Mm -hmm. So if they are rubbing and pawing, it may be that we need to put them on pain meds too. I think we, I think we underestimate sometimes how painful some of these infections could be. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And so our differential list, I'm going to stick with more of the respiratory just because that's more commonly seen versus the disseminated version. So my differential list for this is going to be things like URI, pneumonia, allergies, nasal foreign body, neoplasia, um, parasites. Yeah. Oh yeah. I always forget about mites. Yeah. We had a golden retriever that we were like, oh, I'm sure this is going to be Asper. And we anesthetized them for the CT and all these little nasal mites came running out of the nose and we were like, ah, it was gross. They just like poured out. That's, yeah. That's, yeah. That'd be cool to see. We've talked it about was. this before. Yeah. I like it. Time to move on. <laughs> I, well, cause you know, if you, if you haven't heard the story, I don't know what episode it was. It's been in a couple episodes. We've talked about it a couple times. Yeah. Cause it's gross. <laughs> it's I a like memorable it. event. Okay, guys. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Um, so I learned that to diagnose Asper, like you have to meet two of uh, criteria of four. Oh. I always thought that if it just pops up on a, a culture, then you got it. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, so a, diagnostics include radiographs, CT scan, it says, or MRI, but I'm like, ah, um, I think the MRI would be more for like disseminated. So like if it's yeah. in like the spine or, um, into the brain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, fungal plaques can be visible with rhinoscopy. Mm -hmm. So you literally like go up with a a rigid scope, um, and you go in a nostril and basically what it looks like is like, it's supposed to be super cavernous and it's not (laughs) like, it's just an open hole. Um, like it's a very open airway and it's not supposed to be like that. And then you can see these white plaques that look like someone shoved cotton up their nose or yep. cotton candy. Cause it's kind of like, depends on if it's sporulating or yeah. Ugh. You can also see fungal balls. Yeah. Have you seen those? Yeah. Like float around. Those are yeah. cool. We they had like one dog. Yeah. We had one dog. Cause we went into the sinus, into the frontal sinus. And like, once we Cause we knew, we, we knew, cause we had seen the, the, the fungal plaques in the nose that, and we did the CT where like, there's a giant like fungal ball in the sinus. Mm-hmm. So once we drilled into there, so we did the trephination, mm-hmm. like you could see the fungal ball just like, just in there. And so we had to like scoop it out. Um, but yeah, it was, it was gross. And it was like this weird color. It was, it wasn't like that bright white that we see with the cotton ball plaques. Mm-hmm. It was like, I picture like a yellow, kind of cheesy looking. Yeah. yeah. It was like, it was kind of disgusting. Kind of like looked like somebody put some cheese. blue cheese just like in the nose or yeah. in the sinus. It's pretty yeah. disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome, guys. And our descriptions are solid. Um, anyway, so the organism can be seen on culture or a tissue biopsy, which is a lot of the ways that we get it. Mm-hmm. Um, basically it's like a hyphae that you see. It's actually really cool to look at on your own under, uh, under microscope. So mm-hmm. if you're tech and you come across it or your doctor comes across it, or you think you might have it and that's what you're trying to diagnose, take a look at it under a um, microscope and then just have a lab confirm. 
Mm. Pretty cool looking. Um, it's not usually seen in the nasal discharge, but could be recovered by nasal flushing. So you're flush, flush, yeah. flush, flush, and then you can knock one of those like fungal plaques loose. Yeah. It's not very easy though. No. And I've seen some like primary vets want to like diagnose it. So they mm-hmm. stick a culturette up the nose and they're like, nope, it's not Asper. And you're like, mm, that doesn't guarantee it's not Asper. Did you get into the sinus? No. Yeah. Cause that's the thing. Like you could have Asper just in the sinuses and not mm-hmm. actually in the nose. Um, but the nose is going to be irritated because again, those toxins, those endotoxins endo or exo. Hmm. Anyways, the toxins that are released from the fungus, because I can't remember if it's endo or exotoxins. It's probably exotoxins because it's like outside the body technically. Well, outside the fungus, right? Yeah. Versus endotoxins would be if like the fungus is dying. I don't know. We might have to Google this and let people know. Um, but it's the the toxins that are released, and that is causing ulcerations and nose bleeding and you still get that funky like ulceration at the nasal planum so you're mm-hmm. like oh it must be in the nose well it may actually still be in the sinuses and not in the nose which is kind of crazy so yeah there is a blood test for it um so positive if it tests positive for antibodies against asper um i've never done the blood test i, I wonder if that's we... more suspect disseminated yeah, I think we did because we we really, really, really suspe- or suspected it and we just couldn't find it. Yeah. Um, and we were monitoring, I think, the antibodies to see how they were doing with the treatment because, because again, we couldn't find it and debulk it because that's, mm-hmm. you know, ideally what we would do. But yeah. Yeah. Um, so for most of our diagnostics. (laughs) Yeah. We're going to, it's going to require general anesthesia, not mild sedation, general anesthesia, um, mostly for the diagnostic imaging, like our CT scan, because the pets need to be asleep, asleep and not moving. Um, x-rays too, because if they're going to be knocked out, you might as well make it easy on yourself. Um, as well as obviously for rhinoscopy because ouch. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess if you're doing it weird stepwise, I mean, in theory, you could maybe do like a CT scan with like Dextomator yeah. if, if you're just doing like doing that first, but I don't know why you would do that and then plan your scoping on a different day. It just seems like, I don't know. We've never done it that way. We've always done it same day. Because the point of the CT is to not diagnose fungus. It's to see what damage might be done from the fungus. Yeah. Or if there's like a foreign body or is there, um, is it, is it a tumor? Yeah, exactly. Because um, we're like, what is it? <laughs> so while yes, it is a diagnostic tool, it's mostly used to rule out other things yeah. and you try to determine like, all right, well, it's none of those other things. What's the extent of the damage look like for this probable fungus? Yeah. Um, and so really your diagnostic tool it's going to be the rhinoscopy needing general anesthesia. So you might yeah. as well to not do both in one day is crazy, Silly. but I have had clients request that specifically. So we have done it before. Yeah. I've, I've, I think I've seen it where it's like an insurance thing. 
Yeah, I think so too. But I'm like, ultimately it's going to cost you and your insurance company more because we have to sedate twice. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Um, well, and it's really important you know for I clients. Dex Dome. Yeah, that, that's true. It's really important too for clients to understand that you have to do the CT before we do the rhinoscopy because we can't do the rhinoscopy and then CT. Like we've, I've had clients say, well, can't you just look? And then if you're not, you know, you don't find it, can you do the CT after? And the answer is no. Cause mm-hmm. as soon as we start doing the rhinoscopy, we're, we're, we're destroying the- and disturbing tissues that, that would look, that look completely different. And so also, it's important to see if the cribriform plate's intact because you can cause a seizure. Yes. Yep. Yep. With rhinoscopy. <laughs> yep. Some, so. cat, some, some clients though do take the risk. Yeah. I'm like, no, I don't want the CT. And I'm like, uh, hey. yeah. As long as they give informed consent and they understand what that means, then. Oh, yeah. I mean, we put seizures and stuff on the like consent form anyway, even if they do the CT scan. Yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah. Um, so treatment for this, there's a couple of different ways it can be done and all the ways that are available are pretty successful. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's typically going to be for dogs. A topical treatment is the treatment of choice. Uh, and it's usually a solution of clotrimazole as well as bifonazole, um, with inoconazole. <laughs> That's so uh, crazy. Cause I think I've only used the clotrimazole before. Oh, we always do a mixture. Really? Two different types of hmm. antifungals, which I don't think I'm allowed to say the brand name, but you can find it over the counter at your local pharmacy. Right. Yeah. Well, we did the, the clotrimazole, but you have to be careful because there's the solution and then there's the cream. Yeah, exactly. You want the solution. Um, so we did both. Maybe that's where the difference was. So we yeah. would do the solution and flush it through first. Yeah, you're right. And then we, we pack the the cream in there. You just have to be very, very careful when you're using it. Um, because there is some formulations and I can't remember what the drug is off the top of my head, um, that have, um, something in there that they've shown in some retroactive stuff that actually that, that could be what's more seizure inducing than others. Um, and it causes more just like irritation and stuff like that. So we would only use like two brands basically. Yeah. Us um, too. Like we had a very specific product that we'd go get Yeah, <laughs> for these procedures. Yep. Um, anyway, so it's infused into the nose and then into the frontal sinuses and typically the, the nostrils are like sealed to hold everything in. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is done with a, usually a Foley catheter. And then what happens is the solution then needs to incubate for an hour, which is always the fun part because you're just sitting with a dog for an hour under anesthesia. Um, and so the patient should be turned every now and then just to really ensure that the solution kind of coats all the surfaces. Um, and then once it's done incubating in the nose, the solution is suctioned or drained through out, out the nose through the nostrils. Um, there. Yeah. So we did, um, we did a Foley in the back in the nasopharynx too, mm-hmm. just so it wouldn't go back the other exactly. way. Cause it can be really, um, irritating to, 
um, the larynx and we don't want it to go through the trachea or anything like that. You always have their we nose pointed pack. down. Yeah. yeah you can pack it. Off. Yeah. You can do packing. You just have to be careful that we're not causing too much trauma. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've also done it with trephination. So as Yvonne kind of mentioned earlier, like you're a surgeon drills into the sinuses and then typically red rubbers are then put into the sinuses and then the solutions infused that way and comes out the nose. Um, same principle works just as well. Uh, (laughs) it's just a little bit sketchy because you're drilling into a dog's forehead. Um, it's not that sketchy. It's a little, I don't do bones. I don't do bones. (laughs) You don't do parasites or eyes. I don't do bones. (laughs) The one thing Um, about it is if you do go into the sinuses, um, when they close it, just tell the owners that, yeah, that it may move because it's sinuses. So there's a little bit of air and occasionally some of the solution or the cream can like leak out a little bit and then it'll be like poofy. We had one dog that got really swollen just because the, the, the stuff irritated tissues. And so it was like, poofy for a couple of days good though for those pets that go home and i never thought about this but on discharge instructions we really should tell them to cool compress it mm-hmm. like hmm. we I don't also do we would send them home with pain meds so we well, usually yeah. did we usually yeah. did a fentanyl patch because um imagine shoving a bunch of cream into your sinuses it's a little bit of pressure like doing those nasal sprays like let alone like i know right uh anyway so there has been it's been proven to be about an 80 percent success rate using the local infusions drugs can be given to you know get that systemic effect so things like mm-hmm. ketoconazole itraconazole fluconazole voriconazole posiconazole um never used that one that's nope one neither that's a new one for me um in kitties see i'm trying not to leave the kitties out <laughs> Uh, for our sinonasal asper, typically what is done is a course of oral antifungal medications, as well as the topical infusion therapy, mm. um, while performed under anesthesia too. I guess I didn't say that the treatment is also performed under anesthesia in dogs. Like, oh yeah, sorry. I think we just, <laughs> hopefully you guys uh, knew that you're not drilling into a dog's sinuses, <laughs> even just like, <laughs> or infusing things into their yeah. nose. Um, with the sino orbital asper. So typically surgery mm. is needed to try and debulk, remove. Yeah. Um, but that treatment's not always successful, I imagine. Yeah. Ooh. I wonder if ortho do- or uh, optho does that or if that's a surgery. It probably depends on the doctor, what they feel comfortable with. Yeah. I mean, and we, we also, the other part of doing the sinus treatment too, is just, if you do see like fungal balls or fungal plaques, debulking as best as you can. So flushing ahead of time, trying to get as much out of there before infusion is really important because if you just leave this giant fungal ball in there, the, the, the the antifungal medication is going to work to a certain extent but not fully. So we just, you know, if you do see a giant fungal ball, you know, debulking it, whether that's using like suction or curette or something like that to get it out. Um, You know what I just thought of? hmm. 
sorry, random thought. I wonder if they call fully catheters fullies because they fully protect, like. No, it's probably somebody's last name. Everything's named after someone. It's probably Dr. Foley. If it fully obstructs the urinary tract. (laughs) Yeah, but but it doesn't. Well, well, from it coming out like it, like it does. I guess. (laughs) It's fully though, not fully. I know, but it's the same thing. (laughs) oh my god anyway anyway client communication though for these patients yeah it can reoccur yeah i've seen it reoccur i think like when i was researching this for uh, my case reports Mm -hmm. i think the recommendation at the time and it's you know it's been a couple years but um i think the recommendation was either three to six months Re-rhino. Re-CT rhino and mm-hmm. and infuse. Yeah, that's what it was when I did mine too. Yeah. And I'm like, I think I've only reinfused like one patient. And that was because they did not refill their medications. So they did a month of antifungals. And then they were like, why did it come back? And we said, you haven't been refilling. Did you not see that there was six refills on your prescription? And they're like, oh no, we didn't see that. I'm like, yeah, we've had it reoccur once in a Doberman and like they did everything right. And it took Mm. two years. Um, So it's one of those questions where did it reoccur? Did they reinfect? Yeah. Cause I mean, that's, that's a hundred percent, you know, a question because they've already got damage to their nasal tissues. Right. So it's going to be pressed at some point anyway. So what's to say they're not going to get immune suppressed Mm -hmm. again. So. And it's like, it's one of those things, like, I wonder, you know, cause some patients obviously don't get infected by this and their immune system's great and takes care of it. And then there's those patients, their immune system just doesn't even pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. Like, I kind of think if, I wonder if it's like poison oak, poison ivy, like some people or ringworm, right? Like yeah. some people are just like, they don't, aren't affected by it. Whereas other people, it's like, they are within like a mile of the thing and they get it yeah so funny story because this happened last week so I was at gymnastics and I was talking to my gymnastics mom friend right and she's having me look at this thing on her arm she's like what do you think this is and like I was like it really looks like a burn she's like but I swear I didn't burn myself and I was like yeah well like just see what happens or whatever like um blah blah blah. like obviously like we didn't talk about it too much but the like two days later she came back in she's like my friend thinks it's ringworm and I was like no I disagree strongly. She's like, why? I was like, first off, it doesn't look like ringworm. It looks like a burn. Like it looks, you know how your skin turns like a little brown after um, you burn like once it heals. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was like, I don't think it's ringworm. Second, I was like, I touched it and I don't have ringworm. <laughs> I was like, I a thousand percent get ringworm like easily. Aww. Like I look at ringworm and I get ringworm. Like, um, I, um, like, hold on. I've never had ringworm. Thank you very right? much. I don't want it. Matt's never had it, despite all the times that I've had it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I was like, I don't think that's ringworm. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. yeah, because I was like, dude, I touched it. She's like, I know, I feel so bad. I made you touch it, and I was like, it's fine. It's fine. Like, <laughs> like, You're like, you should go to your doctor and figure yeah. out what it is. <laughs> and she did, like her doctor was like, yeah, we see it all the time, and she's like, but what is it? <laughs> like, and she so she still doesn't know like they didn't oh. 
So, yeah. So, I mean, definitely when you're talking to clients, um, here's the thing, right? It's, it's kind of similar to the ringworm conversation is obviously there is aspergillus in the environment of their home, whether it's inside or outside. So, you know, I, because it is something people can get, I usually just warn them and be like, you're not going to get it from your pet, but it's in the environment. So if you have concerns, speak to your doctor because, you know, especially if you're immune compromised or whatever, like just make sure that it's on your radar. Um, if like, if it's something like a compost heap, you know, if you've got more animals at home and that's where they're getting it from, um, I've had a client that had two dogs that ended up with Asper, um, from the compost heap. So, you know, it's just one of those things where you have that conversation and then making sure again, they refill their medication (laughs) and just like with any other internal medicine thing where we've got antifungals, um, they probably do need to come back in for monitoring lab work just to make sure, you know, there's no issues with their liver. Um, we're not seeing signs of toxicity. Cause if that's the case, you know, we may have to switch to a different one. So there's, you know, those are kind of all the things that we talk about with client communication. Um, and it, you know, once we discontinue the medication, have them really pay attention for any signs of reoccurrence. Um, you know, do they all of a sudden start having nasal discharge again? Are they sneezing? Are they pawing at their face? Um, because we don't want there to, to be more infection. And now all of a sudden the curbiform is not intact because you imagine we going can't through do all that. And then like, you're sitting there on the couch and your dog sneezes once and you just look at him. And you're just like, <laughs> right. You're like, you sneeze. No. <laughs> you like aggressively go and look for discharge <laughs> and you wait for them to do it again. And you're just like, right. Yeah. Like I do that with like my kids because like Connor gets like chronic ear infections. And uh, he just, the other day he was just talking to me and he just went like this and like rubbed his ear a little bit. And you're like, what? What? Yeah. And I was like, I just sat there for a second in silence. And I was like, hey, buddy, did your ear hurt? And he's like, yeah. And then he walked away. I was like, oh. Yeah. He hasn't said a word about it since either. I snuck, I snuck some drops in there though when he was sleeping. <laughs> anyway. That's such a vet tech thing to do. Well, I've been through so many ear infections with them. Dude, I hear it. I um, used to get ear infections all the time as a kid. So I, it was the worst. Yeah. Be careful with these pets because they can be painful. So when you're squeezing their little poor nosy. Yes. Gentle. Yeah. It, it, actually, that's really important too. Like my tip of the week, <laughs> the cautions are, they can be more painful than you think, right? Like that's a really good point. So we may need, um, we may need some additional pain meds when they're anesthetized. Like if you don't do like a fentanyl CRI, when you're doing these rhinoscopies, you might want to consider it. Um, a local block, a local block would be good. Yeah, multimodal pain medication. It's the tip of the week. I think the tip of the week is I I would say we kind of touched on this, but um follow up with your clients just so yeah. that 
they remember to refill medications or come in for that lab work checkup just to make sure they don't fall off the face of the planet and then the fungus is back with a vengeance. Yep. Yeah, that's a good one. Follow-ups. Yeah. And now for the question of the week. Question of the week is similar to last week. I want to know if anybody's seen fungus behind the eye. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. And what it looks like. <laughs> Jordan's like, I want to see the weird stuff. <laughs> I want to see what it looks like. <sighs> cool. All right. Anyway, that's a wrap for that episode on Asper. That's the last of our fungus for now. Um, yeah. So we'll be back at you next week with a new topic. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> so, all right, guys. Thanks so much for listening and making commitment to learning. And we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you like what you heard, we'd love for you to share with someone you think might enjoy the podcast. And make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Want to give us a boost? Please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher, and we'll be sure to say thank you. Find out everything about us at internalmedicineforvettechs.com. Talk to you next week. Bye.